Maki. Nagano Meko Chase Chase Toko Maki. My name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Today is November 20th, and it is the Trans Day of Remembrance. And I am really lucky to have a friend on. So I'm going to start by acknowledging the land that we're on. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The South uh, Blackfeet are on the south part of the US Canadian border are the Blackfeet Nation. And then north of the border is the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfeet as the elders and the members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born here in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post Status Card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am the daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post Status Card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great, Le Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down the red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Help for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area as well. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you for the previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at Native Calgary or at nativeyyc at gmail.com. You can send in your comments or your questions, and we also have a website. Uh, I now have a YouTube channel, which you can subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on my social media. And I want to give a shout out to my super loyal donors, Adam, Agent Indian, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jacqueline, Jana, Jenny, Jessica, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lisi, Marisa, Melissa, Morami, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, Rochelle, The Sprawl, Shara, Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Thaya, 
Vanessa and Veronica. Thank you all for listening and I am so honored to have my guest today um, again on Trans Day of Remembrance, a really important day for the LGBTQ2 plus community. Bobam, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you and I think your list of your supporters is bigger from one episode to another episode. It, it brings some kind of optimism, yeah. And thank you for, for this, doing this job. And I always like to enjoy your um, land, land acknowledgement. It sounds pretty much interesting, yeah. And, and like, maybe I will even ask you a few things later if you allow me, but let's see how this discussion will, will go. Well, um, for those who don't know who I am, uh, but I think we have a lot of mutual friends, Michelle. So, uh, for those who don't know who I am, my name is Boban Stojanovic. Um, I'm quite new to Canada. A few days ago, it was exactly four years how I moved to Canada with my partner. Um, at this moment, I am with Center for Newcomers. I work there as LGBTQ plus program manager. I am there from early beginning of this program and I'm very proud how it's going and how this program um, became like really huge one from like one small pilot, six month pilot project to, to like having like a few people more in, in just a few years here in Calgary. It's also kind of a challenge, but we will talk about that um, later also. And well, I came from, from a small Eastern European country um, called Serbia. Uh, for more than 20 years, I was, um, um, you know, like, it's very complicated because um, I am, like, very well known as LGBT activist there, but I like to identify myself as peace activist because I start my activism being involved in peace movement and reconciliation process after all that's happened there in the Balkans region you know, for almost a decade. And after that, I became actively involved um, like in LGBT movement itself. But I also think that whatever we are doing is building peace. <laughs> so, so I like at the first, like zero point of my activism, like very, very like beginning is um, peace activism and I like to identify myself as peace activist, but you know, like if there is some political purpose, I like to identify myself as LGBT activist too. So yeah, and um, because of many things that I experienced there, not like such a pleasant uh, things, um, I just became like sick and tired and I decided to move somewhere else. So we moved, it was like early November, 2016. We came here based on our tourist visa. We claimed for refugee. We were granted for refugee in March, 2017. Now we are permanent residents, but basically um, November 9th was the first day when we can apply for our citizenship. So we are on the good way. Yay! That makes me happy. Um, so I don't know, I don't actually talk a lot about my stepmom, but she is Austrian. And um, when Harper was in um, 
uh, office, I told her, you better get your citizenship because I don't trust this man. <laughs> and uh, that PR, that was something that her and her family had, I think, for 30 years. So I'm really glad to hear that you're going immediately for your citizenship because I think, um, I think it's really important, depending on who the government is, on whether or not you know, you're in favor or not. And, you know, if someone like a, a certain politician decides that they don't like you, they can go after you. So that's why I'm so happy that you're getting your citizenship, because I know you're a huge part of our community here in Calgary. And, um, you know, I think it's really important for folks to understand the gravity of LGBTQ2 plus uh, persecution across the planet, uh, let alone even here. I mean, we have um, missing and murdered Indigenous Two-Spirit, and we still to this day are not comfortable um, identifying them publicly because of the homophobia and the transphobia that was taught by Indian residential schools and the Christian churches. And um, even in my community, there are churches still doing conversion band therapy, even though they're not supposed to. Um, you know, we're still there. And even though the city of Calgary outlawed it and the federal government, the provincial government has not um, acknowledged that quite yet. So I think it's really critical that we understand the gravity of the persecution that's still the violence that everyday LGBTQ2 plus experience, but also immigrants. Um, you know, one of our past candidates was from Croatia and I seen her and her family talk about the immigrant uh, experience here in our area and how, you know, there's racism or bias and mm -hmm. all sorts of things. And uh, Ed Stelmak, our previous Ukrainian premier, apparently experienced a lot of uh, bias against him and discrimination because I guess he wasn't white enough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I guess, uh, what, what has it been like coming to Canada, the transition to Canada? Well, it's an interesting process, you know, like, um, I was, I will give you a little bit of my, like, background and what's happened there. So, you know, like, uh, I was born and I live, like, for a certain time in a country called Yugoslavia. It was, like, really, really huge country. And it was something like Canada, like, different kind of province. We call them republics, you know, but whatever. There was some kind of autonomy of each part of, of the huge country. And after that, with uh, some political issues and rising of um, uh, nationalism and different kind of, you know, like, ethnic hate, we had a few wars in, a, let's say, like, 10, 10 years approximately. They were, like, really bloody. They were not, like, so, like, long one, but, like, really, really bloody one. And, um, you know, like, in that craziness, I was in, 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 in part of that country called Serbia. Now it's an independent country. Uh, but in that time, you know, like, because that Yugoslavian identity, and I can see similarities with, like, Canada, you know, like, we are all Canadians. We are proud Canadians, you know. So we were, like, very proud Yugoslavia being, like, citizen of, of, of Yugoslavia. But, you know, overnight, that country simply, like, split, and we got, like, few new countries. And then I find myself in something called Serbia. And, you know, I didn't care 
about my national identity, but so many people care about it. And then they try what they did, basically they create some kind of instant artificial Serbian identity. So it means you must be um, Christian Orthodox, you must be straight, um, you must be, you must like respect some very selected part of your history. You know, not like your history in, like in general, but like very selected one and all that kind of things. And for, for me as a like gay man, there was no space for me, you know? And you know, it's, it's also like one of result of, of that like war craziness. You know, one nation will be ready to kill so many people in the name of like defending your country, your nation to protect your people. And then we will be upset with like giving birds, bird rate, uh, you know, that kind of productivity. So like you are gay, aha, uh -huh. gay means no family, no kids. So you are not productive for our country or not useful for our country. And I can see that like all over the globe, you know, with every time with rising of nationalism, you have rising of homophobia and transphobia. And uh, I don't know, like, uh, we will always discuss about like abortion and role of the woman and everything, you know, so it became like pretty much like tough for people like me. And um, I made my life even more tough by being, um, being um, a peace activist, you know, and I was like double traitor <laughs> as a gay man and as somebody who is very critical toward my Owen ethnic community, you know, there they will, we will use that term ethnic community. I know like in Canada, it's more proper to say cultural community, but I think situation there is different. So I will use this term, but try to understand why. And I was like, you know, like um, my name and my last name, they cannot be like more Serbian, you know, like it's like pure, pure Serbian name. And um, like having this name and being gay and being peace activist and you know like peace peace activists are recognized as somebody who is like against the other nation you know because i want to talk what we did there who we killed there you know that was my that is very important for me and it was like really really hard and over the years you know that like I experienced like constant violence physical verbal violence I received so many uh, death threats um, on on social networks email whatever but you know like kind of death threats like I know where you live or something like that so you are never like you never feel like safe enough you know Somewhere deep in my mind, I thought like, okay, those people are just like crazy people and they just want to scare me or something like that. But at the same time, you're never sure, you know? And I was pretty much involved in like public life back uh, in Serbia. I was constantly in different kind of media. So I had that kind of visibility, you know, I was kind of public figures so people will recognize me in the stores on the street whenever so you know with bringing all that together i didn't feel so much safe and then in um um 
and you know, like my visibility extremely rise by organizing Pride and being uh, being a very active member of Pride committee in, back in back home in Belgrade. For those who maybe are not familiar, Belgrade is capital of Serbia, and um, uh, it like it was maybe like three weeks before Pride was appointed that year, 2016. And by chance, I, I, I know like Belgrade was the first city where Pride is organized in September. And then I moved to Calgary and Pride is organized in September too. <laughs> yeah, I so know. Like Pride... We're just a little against the grain there, aren't we, with June? So <laughs> <laughs> Pride in September, Pride is my destiny, Michelle. Yeah. And, and then, um, you know, like uh, it was like day like any other day and I went to bank to do some things and on my way back to, to the office, um, I met two guys and they start first to verbally abuse me and they, they, they start to like uh, physically abuse me, you know, they punch me in my head and my shoulder and you know, like it, it was not the first time and honestly, I was not like shocked by that because you know like it's happened like so many times but it's happened in a very tiny street like tiny street but very busy street and there were like approximately 10 people so they stand in a circle like bystanders and nobody reacts and that what scares me you know nobody say like hey guys what you're doing or like we will call police you know something something just no they just observe and that was like really, really like shocking experience because you know, like, okay, some idiots are always there, you know, like I'm aware of that, but like nobody, nobody didn't react. And after that, you know, it was also some, um, we had like new government at that time. It's like complicated story. It's not like so, so, so important to go into details, but um, you know, um few days sub I, I and I, I was able to escape and I called police and you know like somehow I survived as you can see but um after a few days I got call from police and they um called me like to invite those two guys based on some um uh, cameras shooting you know from from some stores around and they pictures was like so clear like for your ID card you can like easily recognize for those people and they asked me like can you recognize your like attackers and I say yeah this one and this one and the guy in the police kind of police officer told me yeah but unfortunately those pictures are, are blur and I was like no they're not and he said like no they're blur we cannot recognize them we cannot cannot identify them with, with these pictures. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, because they were like so obviously obvious. clear. Yeah. And he said, no, no, I'm so sorry. We can't do anything, you know? And after that, like a few days after, um, we had a meeting with, um, in Serbia, we had a minister for, um, EU for in European uh, Union integration because Serbia is not part of European Union and we have that ministry and you know like we organize meeting and 
there were like in, in her office and there were like pride committee and few uh, photographers. So, you know, like we enter in the room, we shake hands for like a minute just for them to take pictures. And it was like routine kind of thing, you know, like nothing new. And that is how things work in that like world. And during that like shaking, she told me, you have to be quiet. You have to be quiet a little bit more because um, she mentioned name of two daily tabloids, you know, um, and she said like, because she, she mentioned name and like, she said like, because those tabloids will work. It means they can write some stupid story about me. As a, I don't know, like I still, I don't know how much money or I rape somebody, you know, that is how they deal with political opponents. So I was like, this is out of my control. You know, I can't control this anymore. And my life became as like Homeland season two. And I just decided without a like, no, we have to go because you know, you cannot control that. They have much more power, they have media. And if you are, if they recognize you as the enemy, they can do whatever they want. And, um, and that is how we decide to move. And we choose between like US and Australia and EU and Canada. And we just like figure out if it will be very hard, you know, to go through refugee process in many countries. We chose Canada, we didn't know where to go. And by chance we had a person from our country, we know she's here for 20 something years. And she said like, well, you know, I have one like grow more. So like, if you want to move, like I will be happy to be your host for a while. Well, and let's bless her fun. for a moment. <laughs> bless whoever her. that person is. <laughs> yeah. So that is how it, and you know, like it was like early, early morning, according Serbian time. And then I just typed Calgary in YouTube. And the first video that show up was like 14 minutes. Somebody just like drive, like, I think it's like Northwest. And like nothing, you know, just like driving like for 40 minutes. And I just saw like few squirrels and I was like, well, maybe I have to be there. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I didn't saw like so much. I know about Calgary very like generally, but that is how, how we moved here and yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you moved here. Let me tell you, um, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's so funny to hear an outsider's point of view of what it, Calgary looks like and, and that. Do you remember the first time you kind of heard about the Indigenous um, perspective of Calgary? Uh, I tried to remember like first, first time, but I know I, like a few months after we came, we joined to, I think it's like James Walk, you know, that like things all over the city. And um, uh, we joined to some like uh, drumming circle or something like that, you know, on Nose Hill. That was my first time that I experienced something in indigenous. And I became a little more interested. And after that, I remember there was some um, like, um, 
kind of conference organized by Center for Newcomers. <laughs> and Adam, my partner, and I, we were just like clients at that time in the, with the Center for Newcomers. And it was something um, about like indigenous people and newcomers and how we can make this bridge and everything. So it was like, mm -hmm, like interesting, interesting. But you know, like I have to tell you, I'm not a person, I think, understanding indigenous issues as a newcomer, I don't, I'm not that person. I don't know how other people deal with that, but I don't want just like to read and go everywhere and learn, 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 and to be like extremely politically correct without understanding. I think understanding is key point, you know, because you can always like be a little bit, allow me to say that like, politically correct, but it doesn't mean you are honest, you know? And for me, I know how, um, how much reconciliation, it's very, very hard word. And there is a lot of things that we have to know, learn, understand, and to do something to act in a proper way in the future. So that is, you know, like I'm here for 40 years, uh, but I think I have to understand much, much more, you know, in order to be able to give proper answer to you, honestly, because it's very complicated. And I will be always like personally, I am always on the side of victims. And I want you to make myself as much as I can safe, like safe person for indigenous people you know, but also I want to have that understanding inside of me. I want to know exactly, I, I will never know what's happened, you know, because I was not there and, but I, I want to understand the trauma and, you know, as somebody who chose Canada as new home, I want to contribute to this reconciliation. You know, I think, and I know, you know, like based on my experience back home, I know how hard it is and how patient we have to be. Now I can say we, <laughs> I, I find myself as part of this society and it's very, very complicated process. It, it requests a lot of patience, a lot of mutual understanding. You know, even we know who is right, who is not right, but you know, it's painful. You know, sometimes honestly, I think it can be part of your answer. But like sometimes, you know, like people will get, oh, like you're from Europe. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not that, that European, you know, I'm not that European. I'm not a <laughs> I'm colonizer. Like, <laughs> colonizer, you know. I, I do like, think though in the indigenous community, like one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here was that there there is a big difference between a refugee and a colonizer, huge difference. And, and you 100% fall into that um, area of refugee because of the persecution that you're facing where you're from. So I think that that's why it's really critical. I, I know for, um, so I don't, I'm actually a daughter of the Mayflower. So that means somewhere along my lines in my dad's side that somebody was feeling so persecuted where they're from that they came here. Unfortunately, I think they were used as a tool of oppression to spread smallpox and all sorts of awful diseases. And they came with their colonizer mind, not knowing that they, they needed to, that there was a different way 
right? And they, they couldn't even live their life where they were from, which is really ironic because, I mean, that's exactly their lifestyle back there. But, um, you know, I, I was born and raised here. And as someone who was born and raised here, I, I grew up in a white uh, family and society in Sylvan Lake. And at that time, there was only, you know, 2,000 people, but there were already eight Christian um, churches. You know, you had mm-hmm. your Jehovah Witnesses, your Mormons, your your Catholics, like all, all of these different types of churches. And it, there, it's so ironic because the propaganda against Indigenous people that have been here for centuries, you know, they always talk about, oh, those people, they can't even agree on anything. And I always kind of laugh. I'm like, you guys couldn't even agree on your Christianity enough that you had that eight churches in a town of 2,000 people. So you just shut it. <laughs> You know, um, but that bigger picture of um, you being a refugee as is somebody that I think that my ancestors would have welcomed uh, because in order for you to leave your ancestral land to come to a place like this, things have to be going down in a pretty bad way. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I've thought about leaving Canada and going to other places where they're not persecuting Indigenous people. But that's pretty hard because that's a pretty global thing. Um, you know, at least in Germany, they give you a free education. So <laughs> post-secondary, I mean, um, not all Indigenous get post-secondary education here, right? So, um, and that was something I've always wanted to do. But I have different things now that I have a little girl and I want to make sure that I raise her the best way I can and, and uh, hopefully decolonized in the best way we can. But I never want her to you know, not welcome a refugee. I never want her to feel that she has some superiority over anyone. I think that Indigenous people always fighting for equality. That's the key, not uh, superiority. And uh, to this day, I hear elders say, well, we still welcome the settlers. And uh, and I think, you know, if I'm going to honor my ancestors, if I'm going to honor the treaties, I have to welcome everybody, regardless of how they got here. But I think that with refugees and the black community that came here as slaves, these are like, (laughs) these are people that we have oppression united together and intergenerational trauma. I think you yourself coming from a war-torn country, you know, understanding what reconciliation really means. I think those are really important things for Canadians to hear and understand. Like this is a man who comes from a war-torn country and he understands. you know, being patient, the bigger work of understanding. And I hear Canadians say, I'm tired of talking about Indigenous issues. I find that really, you know, it's hurtful and insulting, but what is it like for you as, an, as a newcomer to come to Canada and hear that, hear, hear the kind of fighting that happens between Canadians and Indigenous? What's that like for you? Well, in certain level, it was very like traumatic, you know, learning about like boarding schools and everything that's happened, and the whole like strategy of colonization, colonization, and you know, like to me, I know there is a lot of like fight about his his work. Um, uh, oh my God, his name just like this visual artist from Toronto. Oh my God, his exhibition was here too. Yeah, Kent Monkman. I know who you're Kent Monkman. Oh my God, I had that name and just like, and you know, I was on that exhibition and it's, you know, like, it's like very like attractive and, you know, like I can correspond with that like um, 
Western European, you know, like aesthetic of his image. And I was like, really? Like, really? And as further as I go to this exhibition, I was, now I have, <laughs> you know, like I was, wow, wow, you know, and yeah. So, you know, all that kind of like a very, very like shock effect things, you know, and everybody will disagree at least like, oh my God, that's terrible. But like what we really think and how much we really care. Yeah. Know? And that is my like next question. And in a, again, in a certain way, I can understand if people say like, oh, I'm tired. I'm like, it's boring. We talk about it like all the time. But I think, you know, like we just have to be persistent and we don't have to like give up. And you know, like if you fight for justice, justice is not something what is concrete. You know, uh, truth is something that is more concrete, but justice is somewhere there. You know, it's it's more like vision. It's more like an idea. And fighting for something like that, it's very hard, you know, but I think, you know, like, until people like people who, who who maybe like doesn't want to talk about this issue or if they think oh it's like minor or it's happened like i don't know how many years ago you know now we have you can continue simply you cannot continue you know like um personally i have respect for that trauma and i will never say to you or to any other indigenous person like okay you know now you have to overcome no it's it's not easy um it's what kind of conversations do you have about genocide from where you're from and 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 that and the reason why i ask is that i right now today the ucp is trying to talk about genocide and they're including all sorts of genocides except indigenous they purposely voted against indigenous as a as a form of genocide and um so and I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that conversation of the big G word? Because you have a perspective that I think that other people don't. Yeah, well, you know, I can share what I learned and what I slash we did back in, in, in Serbia. So, you know, among many other crimes committed in my name, like some people had idea to protect me in another country by killing people in another country, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in the name of like protecting me and my family. And I don't know, like, I don't know autonomy of our country, whatever. So there was like huge genocide in place called Srebrenica in Bosnia and Serbian soldiers um, killed more than um, 8,000 Muslim people, mostly men, in just like three days in July. I just can't imagine how it looked like, you know, it's like mass production of killing. It's like factory of like killing people. And uh, that crime is the biggest issue in, in, in Serbian society now. And it's, it's clearly genocide, you know, 
I don't want to discuss. It's not war crime, it's genocide. Because killing like um, 8,000 like men, it's, you just want to destroy, you know, one ethnic group. In this case, it's, it's Muslim ethnic, uh, ethnic group in Bosnia. And, you know, like first what we did we wanted to to make clear distinction like we are not those people we didn't and you know i was involved in in peace group called the women in black you know you can google if you want to learn more about this uh, and i think there was like small group of a small like group of uh, women in black activists here in calgary during the 90s i found some information but it was not like i was a little bit like lazy to to try to reach those people sure. uh, but you know like we decide like okay we will go to bosnia and we will try to reach um, these families families of of srebrenica victims and we want to say, we are so sorry, we will never forget, we stand with you. We don't understand, but we can empathize, you know, and because we are so close. And I think here it's even worse because we are neighbors. There is no borders in Canada, you know, and I, that, that's what we did. So it was like very first step in building trust between each other. After that, I remember we brought group of um, uh, mothers of Srebrenica, that's the name of um, an association. So they are mostly like mothers and sisters and wives of Srebrenica victims. And we give them space to talk in the, like in the middle of Belgrade, you know? And it was very, very hard for them because they were in, in the heart of idea of this genocide, you know. And after that, we did like so many things, but also what I think, what, what can be like huge contribution if non-indigenous people organize themselves and stand for indigenous people. So, you know, like I'm not Muslim, nobody in my family didn't lose their life there or something like that, you know? But for me, you know, like, like crucial moment, I was in, in 2004, I was for the very first time in my life, I was in Sarajevo, it's capital of Bosnia. And we went to some um, kind of like bar, you know, I mean more like coffee shop. And there was a group of, uh, there was some seminars. So we were like from all over of that like region. And, you know, we were like very happy that day. We make a lot of jokes and fun. And the girl who works there in that coffee shop, she asked me like, and where you are from? And I said like, Belgrade. And she said like, oh. And I was like, what I did? <laughs> but I don't know what I did. And, you know, that, question and my answer destroy all that like nice atmosphere and that was the moment when I understand understood like how much this trauma is deep you know this trauma is really really deep and you know like I did as much as I can for example uh, I always like for so many years 
Adam, my partner, and I, we were both involved in this movement. So, for example, we attended um, um, uh, annual commemoration in Srebrenica. And for me, it was my way of reconciliation. Because, you know, it was very hard for those people to, to, to see us from Serbia there. But at the same time, you know, they had respect. It was like 50-50, <laughs> you know? And I can understand how hard it was for them. I was uncomfortable almost every single time. But, you know, there was a moment, and it was in 2016 exactly, I remember. And one, like, I think she's in her, like, late 50s. One Muslim woman, she came to me, and she say, she told me, you know, I know who you are meaning I know you are gay. And for her, it was, you know, it's very traditional part of Bosnia, very conservative. They're not like super gay friendly. So for her, I, I was like, wow, because for her, it was probably very hard to reach me, you know? And she said like, I know who you are, but thank you for being here. And my heart was like so broken, honestly, you know? And that's the, best compliment I ever got mm. because I think that's that's the heart of reconciliation not because she reached me please don't understand in that way you no. know this yeah is my experience yeah but um uh, it, it, in the same way I I reach her I was there I make my decision to go there and to accept whatever you know another time um another time i had experience when another woman approached me and said like thank you for being here but but we cannot forget you know so like many reactions was, was there but i think that like thank you that's something you know it's it's mutual respect and like i think if indigenous people uh, recognize like honest um, regret for what some other people did in some other times i think it will be very important point for for collective healing of this nation you know because honestly i think people who deny what's happened they're not they don't feel so good they feel hurt they feel um you know why they are pro like why you don't want to talk about this what is painful there why you deny all this you know okay you want to talk about like poor kids in uh, Suriname or something like that but you don't want to talk about your neighbors what is so hard for you there as i told you in my personal opinion I have to learn more to be able to be maybe more involved and to discuss and hopefully, you know, like I will stay here and there is enough time to do that. But at the same time, like if you want to, like if, why, why you denial? 
What is so provocative there? Where do you feel hurt? You know, what will be taken from you? Who attack you? Who, who, I don't know, is it like proper translation, but like who shake your cage? Do you know what I mean? Like what's, what's going on there? And you know, like that is why patience is, is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, we have, so I was born and raised here in Alberta and in Caroline, they had um, not just Holocaust denying, but they had neo-Nazi rallies. And they, they did, of course, deny the Holocaust. We had a teacher in Eckville who denied the Holocaust. And to this day, we have all these Canadians that deny uh, the genocide against Indigenous people. And I was just on the phone my, with my elected MLA. I ran against him. And um, he's putting forward a bill about genocide. And, you know, when I talked to him about purposely, you know, excluding Indigenous people, he went all over the map about how this needs to be internationally recognized, how the federal government needs to do more. And I, I reminded him, I'm like, you recognize that your premier was a part of the federal government at the time and chose not to recognize it as genocide. And, you know, back to backpedal, backpedal, talk all over the place, except his responsibility. And I said to him, you know, like, literally, you have people in your riding that have been killed recently, and you are denying us that term of genocide. And you're not working towards unpacking that. And you are part of contributing to the continuous genocide by not acknowledging it. And he went all over the map and, and, and wouldn't come back to it. And it's really interesting because him as a new immigrant trying to talk to me as an Indigenous person, someone who ran against him, you know, he's kept talking, well, I see, consider you a friend and, and such. And, you know, if you want to write an email, I said, if I write you an email, I'm going to send you an invoice because this is the education that you should be getting and that you should know. And he's like, no, 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 I'll take your advice as a friend. <laughs> so willful denial is 100% a real reality today. And um, I'm trying to figure out, and that was part of the reason why I was thinking about going to post-secondary in, in Germany, is that they've really unpacked the concept of genocide in order to have every single German talk about, you know, the issue of genocide and how easy it is to go there. Um, to this day, like you were talking a bit about the media that comes after you uh, when you were when you're back home. And I think of the propaganda, the copaganda, I call it here where we talk about the positivity of the RCMP and the positivity of, you know, an, an Edmonton police officer pushing someone in a wheelchair across the street or, you know, a Calgary cop buying an ice cream for a black kid, you know, it, it's that propaganda so that when they can justify when they shoot and murder my people or another black person or arrest them or beat the crap out of them, you know, and, and it's, it just annoys me that you know, it's so painfully obvious to you as a person who's been on the other, on the receiving end of their persecution, and yet Canadians are so blind, willfully blind, but then it's back to the conversation you were having about genocide denial, and, you know, what what is happening in them that they would be so willing to deny it, and it's so obvious to me, and I think that was kind of the impetus of bringing you on here was to to see that, you know, you're a new immigrant, you're, you're a newcomer to Canada, and you see this because you understand what genocide is from where you're from, and what real persecution is, and yet Canadians seem so willfully blind here, and, um, and purposely 
you know, propagate denialism. And we actually have so much, um, you know, activity on social media, the dark web as well, about, you know, denying genocide globally. And, um, mm. and it bothers me that people are so protected here and I don't know what to do about it. So that's why I wanted to go to Germany. <laughs> How do we undo this? <laughs> but you know, you have, for example, in Germany, the city of Dresden really, really struggled at the end of, of the Second World War. And it was almost like the whole city was, was destroyed, you know, by like British and US and other European countries' armies. And they have like really, really strong Nazi movement there, which is quite of absurd, you know. What I appreciate with German policy on genocide now is they bring a lot of awareness whenever they could, like educational institution, cultural institution, and like maybe not at this point with this COVID, you know, but I remember every time I was in Berlin and Berlin is very like cultural city and so many like galleries and events are there. And then if you go through that, you know, like what's happened in Berlin and like, I don't know, exhibitions or something like, you will always find like plenty of things like related to, to Second World War, to genocide, to Holocaust, you know, so we just have to be persistent and uh, what they learn from many, many, many activists from all over the world, people that I trust, like authentic activists, not just like Starbucks activists, but um, what they learn from them, presence, being present is very important, you know? And I learned that first time I heard that from my Bosnian friend, you know, like she's like very like strong feminist and fighter. And she said, you know, once I'm in the government on some meeting or whatever, they have to deal with me. You know, they have to deal with me. And basically that was my practice back home. You know, I didn't care like, um, what you think, what is your idea. I was just there. I know so many times I make them nervous. So many times I put very complicated question like, why? What do you think? You know, nothing more, nothing less. Okay, you said something and then I was like, what does it mean? Yeah. What does it mean? Yep. Is it just like a phrase, you know, like, yeah, I can say, oh my God, Michelle, reconciliation is so important. It's so important. <laughs> but what does it mean to me? Yes. Especially if I have power. Yes. If I can create some public opinion. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. You know, so so even you know with everything that's happened this summer, you know, with uh, Black Lives Matter movement and you know all that like craziness, you know, like. People were like, read, listen, read, listen. And then, you know, like my Instagram was full with like fancy pictures of, oh, I'm reading this, you know, I'm reading this and like nice selfie. No, 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 no. It's not about your selfie. <laughs> I don't care about your selfie with like white fragility book or something like that. Yep. I want you, I want you 
to understand what we're talking about. You know what? You know, it's interesting and, to hear you say that because we had the summer of Black Lives Matter and you know, supposedly so many people were woke. But then when it came to uh, every October 4th, we honor our missing and murdered indigenous women. It was the same people who came, not new people, not a whole bunch of new folks that were like, yeah, we're in solidarity, you know, and, and I'm, I mean, trying to be more, you know, okay, well maybe COVID-19, but at the end of the day, I run a book club. I'm talking about, you know, missing children and unmarked burial sites. Like that's tangible reconciliation work that uh, non-Indigenous people can do. And they're not mm -hmm. stepping up. They're not doing that work. It's like tangible. Because I, I get a lot of folks who are like, yeah, but what can I really do? Because when I say, can you read? Can you understand Indigenous issues? You can see they just want to leapfrog over that. And I don't love that, but whatever. If they're going to leapfrog, they're going to leapfrog. But at least working on these monuments, like you and I know, they're a minimum $10,000 um, investment to get a monument. We have thousands that we need to put all across the country. Tangible work that, you know, so-called, you know, allies can do. Um, I have a hard time with that term because if you're willing to not recognize you need to learn and do education before you're helping, then you know, what kind of ally are you? But if you're just a leapfrogger, at least that's something tangible, you know, to do. Um, and yet they're not stepping up. So how do you deal with the fact that, you know, people will come up to you and they might even cry and hold your hand and say, I'm with you. I'm, my solidarity is with you. And then they don't show up. At the end of the day, they don't show up. They don't promote. They don't sign things. Nothing. They don't do any of that. Like, how do you, you know? like, because I block everybody. Like, you know, I, I'm just like, whatever, you obviously are not an ally, block, 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 block. So I do that all the time because I just don't have time for it anymore. Like, I mean, I have so much emotional labor to give and it's, um, you got me once, that's it. <laughs> Show up. But what, what are some of the things that you do for like that self-care, that acceptance of patience for all of these folks that obviously in their lifetime are not going to get this? Like, how do, what is, how do you deal with that? How do you struggle with that? You know, like instead of, of having a cup of coffee, I need like a bottle of wine. Right. <laughs> my heart for that like painful discussion. But you know, like um, what I learned is to understand who are people around me, who, who those people are. And, you know, especially with like uh, social networks and all that kind of things. I will call it like human rights in general you know, whatever is there, whatever we're talking about, like LGBT rights or genocide or like I don't know, abortion or whatever, or police oppression, whatever, whatever we talk about. Um, um, you know, like sometimes it's, it's just like a trend, you know, where is Me Too movement now? And what is my expectation in a few months, BLM, Oh, you remember last year we went, no, that's not my cup of tea, you know, like, it's not like sustainable change. So now, you know, like something is like, uh, just like trendy kind of thing. And I remember my very good friend back home, she always said, you know, she was like very known, well-known European intellectual. I learned so many things from her. And she said like, people she was always like very dramatic we 
can't allow human rights to become new religion, you know, and like religion in so many ways. And honestly, I didn't join any single event this summer. And it was my like ready, like conscience and rational decision. And I will let you know why, because in this process, you know, it was a bit like very short time for like murder of like George Floyd and, you know, everything's happened very quick. I didn't saw any discussion and I didn't find like, I'm white, however, I am white and I don't have right to speak in the name of black people. You know, I don't have that right. I will join them once they want me to be there. Not just because it's like trendy and I want to post on my Facebook. I didn't saw that kind of discussion and articulation in the frame of black community. And I was like really, and I was like off from, from my social networks for a while because like how to be perfect ally or something like that. It was so annoying because I didn't find so many things like honest. It was just like, I'm not that one, but I was still curious like who you are, who your friends are, like what you're doing, you know, like just making that like simple kind of statement, it was not enough for me. What do you learn from reconciliation process, for example, is it's very important for victims to articulate their requests, but they need their own space. They have to discuss among themselves. They have different opinion about different things. But once, and you know, it doesn't mean like it must be like final list of requests, but once all these ideas are articulated, then others can join, you know? And I think it was crucially important for this summer, for example, with Black Lives Matter, or maybe like it's better to say about like all that like issue of like racism, you know, to give space but I'm not that one who will give space to black community. I'm not that one. They have to organize themselves and they have to articulate whatever they want. And then, you know, like, because it was like really, really like crazy and I'm sure, and you will see in a few months, it will be like last year trend. And I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy about it, you know, because I think like recently Me Too is perfect example how something but we, oh my God, we are all on this, you know, like we understand Me Too, do this, do that, and then it's just gone. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that like rape is gone and sexual abuse is gone. No, it's still present, yep. you know, but but in a different way. So yeah, I I I think we just have to be you know, like careful and honest and to, like, okay, I don't know enough. And maybe I'm not ready to learn more at this point, you know, and that's fair. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair, you know? Uh, and I think, I think that's, that's completely fine, you know? 
but just like try to, to be honest, to follow your heart, to understand the importance of understanding each other. And it's like step by step, but you know, like just to go back, I think for like indigenous activists and indigenous people or like indigenous people who are maybe more active in this field, you know, just be present. I think it's precious, you know, just be present, don't give up. And, you know, because being present is the most powerful thing that we can do. Mm. Well, I think that's sage advice. So thank you. Thank you, Boban, for all of that advice. Um, I know we could keep talking, but I know I, I'm I'll asked you to be on my show for an hour and an hour goes by so quick. So I better wrap up. But when I do my wrap up, you know, I really think that you touched on a lot of the things that I talk about when it comes to being a bystander, especially your conversation about really what made you decide to come to Canada. So I'm going to say kind of my final uh, summary, but I just welcome you to you know, add to whatever it is I'm saying, because I think, again, you know, I, one of the reasons why I'm so grateful to have you on that show, on this show, is that you have that perspective of genocide and reconciliation in, in a very different light than I think the average Canadian does. So as I talk about these things, as a, a member of the LGBTQ2 plus community, I just want you to feel welcome to, you know, speak on any of the things that I start talking about, because I think, you know, you have a new, unique way to say it. And they keep hearing it from me the same way over and over again. And sometimes a new voice helps them see it through a different light. And I hope that, you know, hearing your story at the minimum of what it's like to watch other people not stand with you. And, you know, it's so funny because to me, um, like I know you in real life, so I see you and you're a big, tall man. So for me to think of somebody trying to come up to you and physically harm you is just so like ridiculous to me but you know that's your reality and that's the reality of many lgbtq2 plus and your partner and you like i wish you all the happiness that you can have here i want to see lgbtq2 plus thrive my daughter is identifying in that questioning community right now and um i have two cousins that are transgender so this day of remembrance matters to me because there's so many folks that have died in wars that we don't recognize really because of their LGBTQ2 plus status. So I just thank you from the bottom of my heart. Know that I'm thinking of you as you as we talk about these things in that that light and that perspective. And uh, I know my people have been persecuted for not being Christian, for not being straight, um, to steal the land because of the you know dehumanization of us as people. We we are murdered regularly here in Canada today. So, you know, I just, I hope that, you know, as, as I speak that, you know, that's the lens and I welcome you in to talk as I speak. So, because your perspective matters to me. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks again for being on my show. <laughs> and if you just allow me, I, I just want to finish maybe this conversation from my side, like sure. one sentence and, you know, um, somewhere in the beginning of 2000s, you know, like there was kind of. I don't know, can I call it like slogan or something like that, but when we opened this discussion about like responsibility and justice and genocide and everything, you know, it was like huge issue back in Serbia, but there was kind of like slogan for one campaign uh, because we use 19s as a synonym for the war time, you know, because it took like a few years in during the 90s. So like we will say like wars in the 90s or something like that. And 
there was a slogan like, where your father was in the 90s. And, you know, it was very powerful because where he was, what he did, he was, okay, my father was worker, truck driver. He was in Serbia. I saw him like every single day and blah, blah, blah. So I know where my father was, but I don't know where my uncle was because he was in member of paramilitary troop in, in Bosnia, in Croatia. You know, he joined voluntarily. I don't know what he did, you know, and there is a lot of like trauma now in his life and a lot of mental health issues. But honestly, I am very reserved because I don't know where it came from. You know, I don't know where it came from. Mm. And, you know, like, I think that is why some Canadians, I don't want to generalize like all Canadians are reserved about indigenous because what your grand grandfather did. And, you know, so I want to believe, I want to believe they feel some kind of responsibility, you know, and maybe that is the way why they step back or they don't want to talk because it's very hard, but at the same time, it's opportunity for them to create something that is much better and safer future for indigenous people here. You know, I came here like in peace, <laughs> you know, I am refugee. This is not my like country where I was born and this is different culture and all that kind of things. But for indigenous people, like for people of color, black people, whoever, you know, I want to be safe place. So like once you're with me, I'm safe. Maybe I will make some mistake. Maybe I will put some question. It's not like maybe like 100% proper. Forgive me, there is no bad intention, but I'm open for conversation. So your, your podcast is part of that conversation. And thank you so much. Oh, gosh, I'm so honored. I, I just know that folks who have faced oppression have so much solidarity. So I, I'm just so grateful that people can hear you know, a bit about you, where you come from, and how you came to be here, because that's part of that understanding, too, and seeing refugees as part of, um, you know, our brothers and sisters, for sure, so just honored you would say all of that, and, you know, share your insights on everything, so. Uh, Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas, traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, so that we regularly disregarded, no more, honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their platforms and policies. If they don't recognize the marginalized and their gender equity plus programs, if they are cutting violence prevention programs, indigenous education, indigenous genocide, uh, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack for human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission reports calls to action, the recommendation of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal, Port, uh, Aboriginal Peoples, 
the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, Two-Spirit, and Transgender. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational health justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians, if they don't recognize colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports organizations, nonprofits. A really great article I said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. So I want to continue by putting cultural safety into action so that you can create a safer space for Indigenous people of colour, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2+, to speak. Look at it as first, nation, or first aid for marginalization. Do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism. Ask questions with those with more understanding. Find allies. Create a support network so that you can help advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect this learning to come from marginalized people. Take time for self-reflection. Beware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And I want to say thank you to heretohelp.bc.ca of what is cultural safety and why I should care about it for those resources. Um, internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence that people, marginalized people face um, because of the structure of racism. So here in Canada, the Indian Act, Indian residential schools, other land clearing policies that created this internalized racism. And I actually had a really um, interesting week because of that conversation with the uh, Calgary Stampede releasing their poster. Um, you know, the, there's, uh, in the black community, they talk about the house N-word. And here in Canada, we talk about the Fort Indian. And the Fort Indian is the one that's close to the fort and, you know, <laughs> gets some of the privileges of being around the fort and then forgets to, uh, you know, about all of the oppressed folks around them and the policies. Like, they focus on the smallest things instead of the bigger picture of the policies of, like, Calgary Stampede not hiring Indigenous people, paying non-Indigenous people for Indigenous uh, pictures and, and, you know, that objectification of Indigenous people as part of the whole issue of reconciliation. But Stampede can lead that dis discussion if they so chose, they just choose not to. Anyway, racialequitytools.org uh, has some really great um, tools about internalized racism do's and don'ts for bystander intervention from the American Friends has some um, do's and don'ts. And this is really specific because Boban specifically talked about why he came to Canada, because people chose to stand on the sidelines when it came to this. So if you witness public instances of racism, anti-Black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, any form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, Use these tips on how to get involved. One, make your presence known. What if one of those 10 people that were around stood with Boben? What if? Make con eye contact 
Um, ask them if they want support. Move yourself closer to the person being harassed. If possible, create a distance or a barrier between you and the person. Uh, if it's safe to do so, film and record the incident. It's a lot easier to, de to delete it later. Uh, take cues from the person being harassed. Is the person engaging? I mean, literally, Boban was fist fighting with someone. It's a good time to intervene. Um, notice if the person being harassed is resisting. White folks, don't tone police people being harassed if they're not white. Uh, follow up with the person being harassed after the incident and see if they need anything else. Um, and I always recommend people giving their card. It validates that you witnessed it. If you're too afraid to intervene, you know, if that person can somehow, you know, create a case, then at least you are a witness to, you know, validate that or at the very least talk about it later. And it's always hurtful and embarrassing when it happens in the moment. And I'm sure Boban has a lot to say of what it feels like, uh, but do uh, keep yourself safe. Assess your surroundings, make a team. If one other person would have stood up with Boban, one other person, there would have been an outnumbered team. Um, don't call the police. For many uh, communities experiencing harassment now, right now, the police can cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Sonny Crazybull in police custody for less than 90 minutes before he was dead. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety, not incite further, further, further violence from the attacker. And don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It uh, communicates approval. It leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. Teach your kids about accountability because these kids are learning it from somewhere. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I know today because it's Transgender Day of Remembrance, there are many resources that are out there for those who identify as trans. Um, violence is my everyday reality, Boban's everyday reality. Uh, every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion. They sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Literally, Tomorrow is Colton Crochu's birthday and the police helicopter was over our vigil and the community association wouldn't open their doors to let us use the washroom. This is the type of policing. We had police surrounding us. We were having a vigil in my community for a man. And that's what type of, uh, you know, police surveillance that we had. And I didn't see anybody care about it. Um, just typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, people who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo. And then there are other people who are really in their trauma and uh, need a lot of resources, but there's none available through Alberta Health Services. Uh, internal, external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, how what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots and stepping up and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. Um, interesting, you were talking about a little bit about your uh, background um, 
as Austrians, yeah. so many were like, well, we aren't Germans. You know, like if you're calling an Austrian a German is probably the most insulting thing. And it stems from that World War II as well. Well, it's bigger than that. You know that. But <laughs> thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband and childhood friend, he's been the father of my child and witnessed decades of racism and sexism. To our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, I'm honored that you chose us. Give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand. Again, thank you to my Patreon account. It's Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, Adam, uh, Agent Indian, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jacqueline, Jenny, Jenny, Jessica, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lisi, Marisa, Melissa, Moramid, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, Rochelle, The Sprawl, Shara, Sharon, Tabby, Tiffany, Thea, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or had did many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciated your support. I value you listening, and if you can afford to give, thank you. But for those who can't afford to give but listen in, I just would love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest pod podcasts and pin posts, and we are also now on YouTube. And I, you know, I'm a little mm -hmm. behind on my book clubs getting into my podcasts. So I upload them right away on my YouTube, but I don't always get the podcast up right away. So that's why it's important to subscribe to the YouTube if you're a YouTuber. Um, so I just want to end by giving side eye mm -hmm. to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. My beautiful cousin would reply, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening.